Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me again today and I'm really honoured by your presence. Uh, I know you take time every day to listen to me and I absolutely love having this podcast with you. So thank you once again very, very much. Um, today we're going to go- talk about something that is... Um, in continuation with the series we're doing on on the history of India and the partition. Um, and today's episode is on the in on the partition, which was really a cold war of socialism versus capitalism and not Hindu versus Muslim. We all were told that it was Hindu versus Muslim and it ended up as Hindu versus Muslim, but it was never Hindu versus Muslim. It was a cold war of socialism versus capitalism. And because Jinnah could not express himself or convince the electorate, which was absolutely uneducated, poor, um, and could not uh, could not get his message across, no one really knew what it was, um, he used Hindu versus Muslim. He used the Islamic card and there we go. So it was really a free market society versus socialism. Of course, it did not materialize for both and we'll get into that. Um, But today we're going to talk about free market capitalism versus um, socialism. And... um, And we'll then explain how it took an effect on the Indian subcontinent. So when we use the word capitalism, we think of the West and America. In today's world, the only word uh, that comes to our mind is American capitalism. A big part of this planet thinks capitalism is a Western concept. Uh, Goodness me, I mean, um, it couldn't be further away from the truth. The label may be, but the mentality is as ancient as it comes. So what is capitalism? I found the best explanation on Wikipedia. Capitalism is an economic and political system in a country's trade. Sorry, capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by individuals and private owners for profit rather than the state. Um, As we look back at our civilization, we As far back as we can go, we can see communities, tribes, clans, kingdoms, empires who indulged in trade and commerce through barter of goods and services. Coming from the Indian subcontinent, where the Silk Route passed through our meadows, a robust commercial economy spurred an age that gave us the Swarnabhumi, the land of gold. Back in the day, there were no frontiers. Civilization understood science, and humans migrated from one region to another in search of food, water, science, and security. As time went on, we lost our science and formed clans and tribes, invaded and found one, fought one against the other for the survival of the fittest. The victorious clan or tribe would go on to form kingdoms and empires, all camouflaged by God. These feudal empires fed their colonial congregations with holier-than-thou supremacist ignorance so that these colonized people would work for them as slaves and serfs. These slaves were used as foreign currency, all or while thinking that they were working for God, submitted to these feudal lords and sultans. However, behind every religious decision, there is a business decision. The subjugation and indignation, however, that they were subjugated uh, to would eventually cause a revolt, and the empire would fall, leaving a void that would be filled by another empire, waiting to get their hands on fledging commerce. Thus, at the end of the day, these empires were all about power and money, which acquired through trade uh, and commerce. Today, that is called capitalism. Coming back to America and their version of capitalism, there are two versions of inter- two versions or interpretation of capitalist America. One is the Republican conservative capitalist America, and the other is democracy, supposedly e- the other is democratic, supposedly liberal capitalist America. So let's go to the conservative ca- capitalism. 
conservative capitalism and her economics normally followed by the Republican Party on the right, which was formed to free slaves from slavery. That was what the conservative party was was about, fleeing uh, flee, uh, sorry, freeing the slaves from slavery. Slavery from labels as well as from defining yourself by concept of abstract labels, colors, and physical form. It is all about free speech, trickle-down economics, learning grammar, and empower, empowerment from within. It's about gaining knowledge, understanding the currents that form your waves, joining the dots, and giving everyone the knowledge to climb that ladder up to enjoy the benefits of the trickle-down mentality, thereby making the pie bigger, shared by everyone, in order to enjoy the party at the top. Conservative capitalism is not about penalizing success with higher taxes or feudal ideological tariffs and poll taxes. It's about doing everything to unblock your metaphysical energy to be able to flow freely whatever your form is on the outside. It is about unleashing that inner potential. Thus, small governments and fewer, ro fewer roadblocks. Conservative capitalism is about using the journey your currents have taken over the millions of years, along with debate, dialogue, discussion, and knowledge it brings about, as an intellectual laboratory to adjust, innovate, and evolve. Modern conservatism is about being an intellectual black belt, thus freedom of speech, challenging every concept about uh, out there in the universe, um, is one of the key ideals and values that is constant with the type of capitalism. Conservative capitalism is therefore about free-flowing metaphysical energy, not confined to boxes. It is about having liberty to do your duty to yourself, taking your responsibility to clean up the negatives, understand the positives, thereby creating a climate of opportunities that will follow. You are therefore solely responsible for your journey, balancing your electromagnetic energy, um, um, and being individually responsible for our journey, uh, which makes everyone an individual CEO of himself or herself. Small business owner, thereby ensuring, um, making everyone a small business owner, thereby ensuring the individual which will make the best decisions catered to promote their own interest. Liberal capitalism, used by the Democratic Party, which traces its roots to 1792, but was officially founded in 1828, about labels, it's, sorry, although its labels defines its philosophies as an open concept, open to any point of view, a concept which is about freedom of ideas, its label does not define the mentality, but it's only a camouflage um, for, it is, uh, for its lef leftist point of view. Its ideology in the 19th century supported and enforced or tolerated slavery. It opposed civil rights reforms after the American Civil War in order to retain the support of their southern base. Slavery is a direct consequence of feudal capitalism. It's about submission to authority, denial of freedom of speech and human rights. It's about working and living on plantations, subservient to the feudal lord who feeds you a continuous divine ideology to micromanage and enslave you, to fool you into doing what is supposed to be God's will and command. A label to buy your silence and believe that the label is an automatic entitlement which will ensure you glory. Basically, the leadership wants you at all times to be dependent on them. Its legacy is defined by control of your mind and what you say to justify its requirement to take your money and fill your pockets. And sorry, fill their pockets while they fill your void with ideologies like drugs. Ideological drugs which control every aspect of our lives. Hence, with the left, one tends to always get high taxes, big government, minimal or no education. Fake uh, education, manipulated histories, and education programs would brainwash uh, you to 
be dependent on the establishment point of view. Governments to suit the agenda of the feudal superdelegates' leadership and their leadership. This which always brings about constant invasions to gain more land, territory, and enlarge their base. It is about boxes and using the homogeneous principle within the boxes to make sure that their slave capital stays within that ideological box, otherwise known as plantations. Plantations where they are continuously fed with fear and hate to keep them constantly subjugated with negative reinforcement. Outrage directed against the neighboring state who are chastised as the devil. All to limit their upward mobility, but make sure that only the elite at the top benefit from their labor and commercial success of, of the plantations. Today, the American democratic liberal capitalism follows the same trend. It's about higher taxes, big governments, identity politics, to keep the electorate in their boxes and on their plantations. They are about feeding their electorate with fear, hate, victimhood, to keep them continuously ignorant um, and isolated with fabricated outrage. Uh, their electorate is controlled and conditioned to believe that everyone hates them, hence we should stick to only homogeneous ideological clans. This is called culture of multiculturalism. No one ever rises above the status quo, while anyone who does not wear the cultural label is considered a racist, a bigot, a, bigot, a xenophobe, or an Islamophobe. Upward mobility is rare, a luxury for a few, and mostly limited. The few lords know... No, uh, sorry, the feudal lords now known as the Wall Street bankers and superdelegates control the plantation below. They convince their ideological family members to be obligated only to their masters and to interpretation of optimism, uh, and their interpretation of optimism is forced upon the people below. All the while, the outrages shout down on anyone who falls outside their version of democratic society. They're, they have a divisive image of the opposition, but a tolerant and intellectual image of themselves. Their capitalism is, a, is based on glorious home, sorry, glorifying homogeneous concepts, otherwise known as supremacy or exclusive capitalism, within a group or subgroup. The concept that are that any other sort of capitalist values harbored by the other side is illegitimate, illegitimate, even if it's a subgroup within the larger ideological family. If liberal capitalism fails to do not, fails or does not work, one automatically becomes a victim due to persecution on the other side. Like our ancestors, this form of capitalism conditions their human mind to believe that if one has two much that is for those not in the power circle, they are obligated to feel ashamed as having more than they need. Shame is a key word under always used to monitor and keep under wraps the economic activity in favor of the feudal elite. On the flip side, if we are poor and do not have enough, it's always the rich that are stealing from us. Negative reaction of having stolen it from others and not working to achieve success always ensures one always ensures that one achieves success and is not subservient to the ruling class. One must be penalized by sharing the bulk of their financial successes with others through only the cha the charities of the establishment, which other which goes straight into their pockets. Theirs is a capitalism that insists on chastising you to believe the poor of the universe are poorer directly because of your explicit actions, and not because they have been subjugated by the same feudal elite group, hence high taxes to educate and feed poor of the country and the world, which, is, which will end up in their own feudal pockets. Modern liberal capitalism is therefore a class-based system of rich and poor, a majority and minority emotional seesaw, where the rich get richer, but always end up paying more taxes to feed the impoverished minority and marginalized electorate on the ground, while the poor marginalized individual fed with outrage to maintain the status quo. Thus, the feudal elite keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. 
While both parties have made mistakes, while they have establishments as well as ideological boxes that overlap and suffocate, evolution and innovation on the right boxes are far less pronounced. On the left, without these boxes, otherwise known as identity politics, there will be no capitalism. Uh, on the human capital in the boxes is conditioned to submit to the leadership and be guinea pigs, as well as being used to step upon to maintain their power-centric grip. On the right, the human capital is a library of knowledge used to introspect, challenge, share, to grow, to empower, to innovate, and become individually and collectively an eternal intellectual laboratory. Both today use the holier-than-thou principle and fear tactics to justify their capitalism, while the, in the institutionalized liberalism use uses man-made labels to sweeten theirs, uh, with the conservatives using label labels limits one evolution, limits his horizon, stuns his growth with boundaries of that label, hence considered sacrilege. Needless to say that both use labels and identity politics uh, today as they seem to have forgotten their founding principles. To sum up, to summarize the two sides with one word, conservative capitalism is about empowerment, liberal capitalism is about submission. Briefly, let's just take a look at the pledge taken by every citizen of the United States of America. Okay, so I pledge the allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, one God, in indivisible with liberty and justice for all. It's a 1954 version of the pledge. A republic, so America is a republic, a republic means laws and regulations. That's what the founding fathers of the United States wanted for their people. Laws to avoid tyranny from the mob and their slavery uh, to feudal groups. Hence, they founded the Constitution, a set of laws which would govern and provide basic and equal education to every citizen to give their knowledge to empower themselves to take their responsibility individually, which would give each of them a chance to create better opportunities for the collective nation. A pure democracy without the rule of law is the rule of the people or the mob. It is, it is tyranny which is what's fuel, fueling slavery. The rule of feudal establishments who interpreted their own version of democracy and did not want to let go. Hence, the American founding fathers came up with a constitution to avoid tyranny and specifically that of ideological and physical slavery. Now, take a look at a few historical figures and see which side they are, which side they match. Um, so we have Jesus. Dialogue, knowledge, understanding their currents that form the waves, constant learning of your source, your heritage, uh, empowerment of the congregations to rise up and not submit to the establishment. You have Krishna, a deity in India known to be the 57th incarnation of, the, of Vishnu. Gita is also known as Govinda, as cattle or as cat, uh, cattle herdsmen, or Gopala, protector of the Go, which Gao, which means cow in Sanskrit, uh, as he would be a cow herder. The cow symbolizes knowledge. His legacy, like, like the Bhagavad Gita, a metaphor for life. Um, the Bhagavad Gita talks about understanding the source of your existence and empowering yourself with knowledge of the journey your electromagnetic field has taken from the time of the cosmic creation to the present. Thus empowerment, knowledge, dialogue, discussion and duty to oneself in order to be responsible and create opportunity. Using that data collected as a constant using that data collected as a constant intellectual laboratory to analyze, to introspect, to project a balanced path forward. Krishna was about dharma and not about adharma, which is slavery. Guru Nanak, a man who went on his way to empower a beleaguered and subjugated congregation with knowledge of science and electromagnetic field, empowering every citizen to bring him or up to equal strength, 
creating a bigger pie and distribution of, of an equal share to one and all. Knowledge and dialogue are the words that come to mind when one member one remembers the teacher we call Guru Nanak. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, enlightenment, knowledge, empowerment from within, dialogue, discussion, debate, understanding the science behind the human, never was an ideologue, not, no to submission, again against the establishment, and yes to inner empowering and inner engineering. Mahavir, this knowledge, the science behind the human, dialogue, non-violence, and empowerment. So we see all these historical figures, and how many more from history that our feudal empires have wrongly institutionalized and misused as brand ambassadors to sell their goods and services. Have all been, they have all been about empowerment, engineering our metaphysical, uh, letting our energies flow freely. They are about removing the box, the blocks and boxes. They are about dialogue and debate to empower a trickle down eco economic effect, thereby giving us a chance to lay man to empower every soul for the ages. They are um, they're made sure to teach their companies how to go in search of knowledge and data to use as an intellectual laboratory to empower our boundless count, uh, cosmic energy. None of these ambassadors mentioned in this chapter, nor the previous ones, have be ever become dialogue. They never sparked any barbarian nor pedophilic empire. They never started any religion. Uh, they only wanted a simple but powerful economics for their people by giving them knowledge and setting them free. So they never started in, in any religion, but they only wanted to empower the, the people of their time. So I will let you readers decide which side would you put each one of these historical figures on. Conservative capitalism or liberal capitalism? Now, here are the four pillars of the Vedas, again to compare notes. The ancient Sanskrit texts on astronomy and the science of electromagnetism we have already talked about. Like I like to call it, capitalism at its best. So we have Dharma, your duty to yourself to introspect, to understand your journey from the source and knowledge it brings us, balancing that positive and negative energy, using the library of knowledge as an intellectual laboratory. Artha, creating money, building a solid financial foundation. Um, Kama, pleasure that arises from the balanced electromagnetic field and the sound financial energy it provides us. Moksha, liberation from the physical body and back into the metaphysical cosmos. However, institutionalized religious religions feed us with a fixed feudalistic holier-than-thou class-based ideologies that we have to submit to while using our human capital to grease their pockets. Our only duty is to self-convince ourselves that, that a non-existent entity who we have never seen or heard is to be believed and submitted to without, with blind faith. We are to sing their praises and live within their mold that they made for us 3,000 years ago in some faraway desert while riding a mule or camel. Sorry, I'm trying to be a little bit politically correct here, but I have no reason why. Submitting to these bygone heroes is a type of socialism where all you have to do are the minimal contributions to your daily prayers and weekly prayers. Then he will fill you, God will fill you with eternal glory as in all you can eat buffet and take every care of your every need. Basically, these theologians are feeding you with a divine rhetoric to control the production and distribution of goods and services in an economy. Like a buffet, it never mind if there's wastage or some leftover food from the, from the previous day, it mixed and reheated. It's all you can eat and second, third, uh, free, and the second, third service is free, even if you have to wait for long glimpse, long lines. Like some buffets, the menu never changes day after day, or month, or month, year, and probably centuries, the food is still the same. Basically, someone else decides what you eat. Yes, it's always, it always tastes very good with high calories and cholesterol, but at one point you get fed up and you want your own individual plate. So here comes the question. 
Do you want the capitalism of historical figures or the socialism of the all-you-can-eat religious buffets of wastage and long lines served to us by divine societies? Mind you, sometimes socialism is okay. Again, depending on the context and a short-term basis as a safety net. I like to equate this type of short-term socialism to a hockey match. So you are in a, a hockey match and you just get scored upon three, four goals in the span of five minutes. You are depressed and the coach calls you to the bench. A timeout. Um, a timeout, he says. You are gasping all the way to the bench, but the coach will calm you down, give you a pep talk, uh, some water, and tell you what you're doing is right or wrong, and give you some advice to rebuild your momentum. This period where you are booted by the bench to rework your mechanics is socialism. The only difference between this hockey match and real life is in life, this time out of three generations at least, to reboot your metaphysics that is 72 years for at least one degree. So you're having a hockey match and you get scored upon three for goals. So you're really depressed, you're out of uh, you're out of the your space, you are not in line, you're out uh, you're you're all about the place. Um, and so the coach says timeout, come to the bench. Okay, and he will calm you down, he will re-energize you, give you some water, and he'll talk to you about the strategy, a new strategy. Uh, and he'll give you some time to rebuild your momentum and he'll advise you to momentum. So this short period where you're boosted by the branch to rework your mechanics, mechanics is called socialism. Um, but only thing, a life is not like a hockey match. It's a timeout. It's not like a timeout. It's not two minutes. It's a generation, three generations to re reboot your mechanics. So I'll give you the example of Cuba. Uh, Cuba uh, was being uh, Cuba had a revolution, and we had Fidel Castro. But before Fidel Castro, people don't remember that the Americans were controlling Cuba to the back door. Okay, and Cuba was. Um, the Americans were all in uh, in Cuba. They were controlling the the government of Cuba during its time. There was uh, the there was no food. There was no water. There was no education. There was poverty. There was no system. There was no control. It was ridiculous. Uh, and so the revolution happened. Socialism took over with Fidel Castro, and he just closed the country. Okay, and he stopped the Americans from coming in. Uh, he stopped the Americans from having any control. He took he took control of this every single enterprise, state enterprises, um, and and went from there. Okay, and obviously, um, obviously, if you if you speak to the Americans, they'll talk about socialism is bad. Yes, in the long run, it's bad, but it's 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 in the short term. You know, you need it sometimes when you're all about the place, when you're gone to war um, and, and there is no control of your society. You have to bring the society back to the bench. You have to bring the society into a format, into a system. You have to dwell up a system. But if you don't dwell up that system, uh, you will not have any, you, you, you will just die down and, and be lost forever. Um and that's what Cuba did. That's what that's what Castro did. They have a health system now. Maybe not the best in the world, but it's great. They have an education system. They have uh, they have their people are educated. If you speak to to a Cuban and you compare him to anyone in Latin America, Central America, the Caribbean, he is the most educated. The Cuban is the most knowledgeable, the most decent, the least violent. Uh, absolutely gem of a people and when you go to Cuba and I've been to Cuba so many times uh, they are so simple there's no high there's no low there's no up there's no down people of all colors Cubans talk to each other as as if they were friends the highest person on the top will talk to the lowest person below but they're all friends they're all the same there is no up and down and that's the beauty of what uh, Castro achieved now because um, 
because the Americans put an embargo on it, it was ridiculous, and as a result of it, they've suffered. Uh, and, and they're suffering very much now after the lockdown and COVID. But they are, um, at the same time, they've got, you know, they've got a robust tourism economy. They, uh, they're very good in tourism. Uh, I've been there many, many times. Uh, people are extremely nice. And it, it's not the best of lives, but it's better than what they would have had under uh, the previous government prior, prior to Castro. Um, and as, as a result of which, um, you know, um, there would have been absolutely no way. There would have been like, uh, what can I say, the Dominican Republic or, or Venezuela at this point of time, absolutely out of woods. Uh, so... That is uh, socialism. The only thing is it's gone on for too long. So socialism is okay in the short term if you have a generation or maybe two generations. It's okay in the short term, but you cannot have it forever because you cannot suppress people if there will be a revolt because we're currents and waves. You cannot stop a current, neither a wave. So why don't we understand these basic principles? Well, we do not know the signs. We also do not understand the currents that form our waves. So the vast library of knowledge that we have accumulated, accumulated through our journey of life, that is 4.6 billion years, cannot be used as an intellectual laboratory to analyze, enhance, evolve, and innovate to rise up and beyond the limits imposed on us. Like Mahatma Gandhi used to tell us, we have to go back to the drawing board and understand the basics. We need to understand the small things in life that are better. Change the, change, change the little things around us and in our space. Understand the science, the cyclic cosmos and who we are, um, and the cycles that, that maintain us. Understand uh, if each and every one of us can do these small things in life, can you imagine the ripple effect it would lead to? Uh, we will arrest power away from the establishment and control our own lives. That is what capitalism is about. The small things in life and the ripple effect of that will trickle down and will, will, uh, will, will go uh, to the boundaries of the, of the cosmos. Take your responsibility to create equal opportunity. If your next question is which side is better or which side will lead, lead you to victory, I would say neither. Um, to the modern state, for that matter, any state in the world uh, is not a capitalist state. Uh, to achieve that level of capitalism, you have to have knowledge or, of science behind who you are, your journey, your sequence, the ability to have that basic right of, of a voice, to understand the currents that form your waves. The modern states are mostly Marxist, establishment states controlled by globalists, and camouflaged by the label of capitalism to drive the agendas of people who control the government. Thus, it is only you, the individual, who can lead yourself to the finish line and then hand that button to the next generation. It is only you who can do small things, introspect, empower, rebuild your individual sequence. Then you can take a look around and you will see which side will best empower you. Uh, remove those roadblocks to allow your metaphysical currents to flow freely. So a quick look at socialism, the definition of socialism. A uh, social system where the means of production, distribution and exchange are owned and regulated by the state. While capitalism is a freedom to be who you are from the time of your birth, it is not being, it's not about being controlled and micromanaged uh, by the feudal lords, theologians who form alliances with governments at the center, uh, both of whom go, go on to control the micro and the macroeconomics respect, respectively. Once you are free, you are in charge of who you are and your cycle. Socialism is all about micromanagement of who you are uh, from birth to, to death to eventually control the economics around you and, and at the center too. This control of the state of micro and macroeconomics was called feudalism in the ancient world. In the modern world, it is called socialism. Feudalism, as a definition, is a totalitarian political system which is the duality between the state and theological power brokers to man manipulate and control people of their own interests. I will end this, I will, I will 
come to an end of this chapter. Um, and, and I will talk about the Indian state. Now, we know that, that Jinnah uh, did not get along um, did not get along with uh, Mahatma Gandhi and Nehru. Okay, uh, he was absolutely uh, disgusted with them. He was disgusted with uh, with the party or with the Congress Party. He just had totalitarian contempt for both for the others for Congress. The Congress is made up of many factions, and these factions uh, form uh, like a cycle, three sixty degrees. Um, and each one impeded on, on the space of the other. Okay. Each one had their opinion, which is normal. Uh, but their infighting and the different factions who could not come to a consensus um, had led to breakups and re rebels within the Congress party. And one of the problems was the Congress was leading towards Marxism because remember the Marxist revolution in Soviet Russia, in Soviet Union had, had taken uh, place in, in the second decade of the, of the 20th century. Uh, and this was now influencing, uh, it had trickled down to the Indian subcontinent. It was influencing the, the Indian sub, uh, and uh, Hindustan um, or British India. And because it was influencing them, uh, um, Nehru and, and the Congress left wing was was taken by it and and, and took it upon as an ideology, as a rhetoric, as a narrative, and they were willing to use it uh, to get rid of the British and keep rest power away from the zamindars. So they knew they had multiple problems on the Indian subcontinent, and they only talked about the British, but we know that there were other problems, and, and, and they refused to talk about it, neither have the Congress talked about it in the last 75 years. But the biggest problem was not the British, the biggest problem was the zamindars, and centuries and thousands of years of slavery and serfdom on the Indian subcontinent. Okay, so we know that the zamindars had served them. Uh, the nobility had slaves. There were kingdoms, multiple kingdoms, and their nobility, their slaves, and their zamindars and their jagidars. The private armies in between, uh, protecting each other from from the um, from uh, from the uh, violence around, um, and protecting the land. And which today these these uh, these private armies are called ghettos, these, these ghettos uh, across the country. So Nehru and, and, the, and, and the Indian National Congress wanted to get rid of them. And the people who were blocking them, who were supporting uh, these, um, these goons, or should I say, uh, first of all, supporting the individual kingdoms, okay, the many prince, princely states, as we call it, um, and these princely states were in, in, in turn supporting zamindars and jagidars uh, and the big landowners in what is today uh, Pakistan and India. So uh, the British were all supporting these people because they were the ones who were paying big taxes and, and uh, privy to the elite of the country. So um, the British were supporting this. In order for the British to get rid of, of the zamindars and in order for, for them to get rid of the princely states, which did happen once India got independence. Um, they had to get rid of the British. But they could not say to the Zamindar that, uh, yes, you know, uh, you're bad, uh, we have to get rid of you, or the princely states, they could not say that. So it was easier to point fingers at the big bad man, the white man. So all they had to do was was pretend that the big white man was was bad, was he was horrible, they were horrible, they was invaded, they had invaders, which they were, okay, colonial power, but at the same time, the real problem was at the grassroots level, which were the zamindars, the jagidars, the private army, and and um, and the princely states, who wrested a lot of power in between. Now, um, how do you do that? Okay, you cannot just take over power from the Indian, from the British, and expect everything to be okay and and go from there. What system are you going to use? So they didn't have any system at that point. 
they were a young educated society. There were very few in far between who were educated. The the 2% of the country had, had money uh, of the land, had money. The the big industrialists, the landowners, they were 2%, what, 5% maximum of the country? Maximum. Um, so the only other way was socialism. That means power, arrest power from the individuals below and put it into the state. So they needed that in the short term. It's very much like Cuba. Everything was about the place. They were controlled by these huge landlords, uh, the, the Americans who wanted to rip Cuba apart uh, and, and probably make it their 52nd state because the Americans loved Cuba. They still had Guantanamo Bay on, on the Cuban islands. Um, so the only way to go about it was... and was at that time socialism. So, okay, they ha they could have they could have used socialism because it was the need of the hour. Like I said, when you get hit in a hockey match with three, four goals, you need to come back to the bench, and this was coming back to the bench. But no one liked it. Uh, the Zamindars did not like it, which, tough luck for them. The Jagidars didn't like it, tough luck for them. The big landowners did not like it, tough luck for them. Neither did the princely states like it. Uh, all the big um, industrialist birlas didn't like it because socialism means giving up everything, your power, your right uh, to the government, which is exactly what happened to Air India. But, uh, JRD Tata commenced the airline and it was one of the greatest airlines of its time. The, the first jetliner uh, uh, airline uh, company uh, did I hear with jetliners? I mean, it was one of the top airlines of this time. Uh, in uh, the Congress came, made it, um, nationalized it, and guess what happened? We 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 know that story. We don't have to go anywhere, any further for it. And the BJP has just given and sold it back to uh, the Tata Group, uh, which is great. Uh, but the damage is already done, unfortunately. Um, and and. They socialized and nationalized everything on the, in, in the subcontinent. They could have had socialism, but they could also have left uh, uh, capitalism. In, 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 they could have also used capitalism in the, on the short term. They could have done so much. They didn't have to curtail speech. They didn't have to control the academia and the media so much. And we became a suffocated society. We went from 333 million in 1946 to 1.4 billion in 19 in 2022 that's a fourfold increase and that's what capitalism that was that's one of the negative sides of capitalism that you're so suffocated you have to go you you find the vent the other side um, with all these bad policies uh, and you we went we increased our population for four fourfold now how are you going to ask the BJP to say provide uh, employment for all? How can you point fingers at someone else when the three fingers are pointing back at you? So this was the Socialist Congress. And yes, there were good times. There were good points. It's not all bad. It's plus and minus. But there were more bad points. In order to keep these people down, the Indian subcontinent uh, buried on a plantation, they used the mullahs and tullahs as a vote bank. Uh, the priests, the pundits, the padres, they used them as a vote bank to keep getting votes while they control the media and the academia. And that's why we have the problems we have today, uh, because the, the Islamic establishment and the, and the Christian establishment and their mafia have taken advantage of this. They were given a free card to a blank check to do whatever they want uh, on the Indian subcontinent, facilitize, do what you want, colonize, uh, keep your hangover, uh, schools, madrasas, Christian colleges, evangelists, and NGOs. All they wanted was votes in return. So they gave you goodies and give me your votes in return, which is called vote bank politics. And now because... These two colonial empires have got so much uh, that they refuse. They think now they, they've earned it and, and it's their right, but it's not their right. They've overstepped their boundaries. And the Congress used it to maintain their socialist hold on the subcontinent. Eventually, it came to an end in the 90s and they had to open up the economy because we are cyclic. They, they cannot tell you that, but it's their fault. On the other hand, going back to 1947, was Jinnah. Jinnah made his money through free market capitalism of the British, okay? He made a lot of money on, um, on his, um, his um, 
um, advocate business. He was a lawyer. He went to England. He made a lot of money. He made a lot of money over here. He was eloquent. And he knew that being out of the system or tribal system, the caste system, uh, the sorry, the class system, okay, the tribal, the lineage system, because caste was bought in by uh, the Latin, the Europeans. There was no word caste before. Remember that uh, there was no word caste on the Indian in, in Indian lexicon. It's all about the Europeans who bought it in uh, because it is a Latin word. So this tribal system, the the tribal, the tribes of of the Indian sub continent and you have to live in your tribes and your ghettos and your plantations he did not like them he bolted and went the other side and that other side my friend uh was back to england where he enjoyed being uh part of a free market economy where he he enjoyed his life he enjoyed the money he got and he made his money and led his life on his own terms and so compared take that from him to uh to to Nehru, who ended up having the Congress to himself, basically making it a leftist party. Um, and Jinnah was not going to like um, Nehru. He was not going to like the Congress. He he just bolted. He, he could not see himself in this suffocated socialist system where the, uh, Nehru would control everything, uh, the, the Congress would control everything, and they would be suffocated in their in their life. In their businesses, in the economy, they will always be fighting for uh, minority rights. They would all be always be fighting for jobs and so on and so forth. Um, he did not like it, so he went the other side. But we know when he went the other side, he could not explain this to the to the to the electorate because what do they understand about capitalism and socialism? They just want food on their table or on the ground because in those days they didn't have tables that that many, the locals at least. Um, so it is important to understand that this partition happened because of socialism of, of the Congress versus um, uh, versus uh, Jinnah's capitalist or free-flowing metaphysical energy. Uh, we know the British did not like Nehru and the Congress because they considered the Congress as radicals, uh, which is ironical. Um, they also considered the Congress left-wing radicals. Uh, they called Mahatma Gandhi as um, they called Mahatma Gandhi as 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 Nazi, as a Hitler, um, and they used the uh, they backed Jinnah's All India Muslim League and used the Muslim League against um, use, sorry used the Muslim League against the against the Congress to 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 put uh, sort of breaks on the Congress and che keep checks and balances on the Congress and not uh, arrest power from 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 the British. So basically, the British. Uh, Jinnah needed the British uh, to fight, gain his his own point of view. The British used Jinnah, each one scratched each other's back against the Indian National Congress. So at the end of the day, uh, when Jinnah could not get what he wanted, no one was voting for him. Uh, no one was understanding what his rhetoric was when he wanted a separate electorates within the dominion of uh, ruled by the British, uh, where uh, the where his his people, that means um, the Muslims, would get uh, power and a free market economy within uh, Muslim-dominated areas or areas on either flank of the Indian subcontinent. But obviously, people didn't understand that. So guess what he did? He used the same card. He used the uh, Muslim card, the Islamic card, and and, and you know, total jihad. Um, um, Islam is in danger, Islam is in danger, the jihad card, um, us versus them, hate speech, rhetoric, uh, he used all the above, uh, polarized the electric and went from one side to the other, and that became eventually Hindu versus Muslim. He put fear in the people that Hindus were bad, Hindus were bad, he put so much of fear, he said, Pakistan, what does Pakistan mean? La ilaha illallah. Um, so he, he absolutely went from not liking the Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi and Nehru. He then went on to fight for separate electorates, uh, for free market economy within these electorates. Um, 
And then after you had that fight against Nehru, which ended up Hindu-Muslim and splitting the Indian subcontinent. So that is exactly why we were separated. We were partitioned because of free market economies versus socialism of the Indian National Congress. And we know how it ended up. Pakistan went down the drain because they didn't really... Once Jinnah died, they, they had no care in the world for free market economy. They got what they wanted. Uh, the elite, the orthodoxy got what they wanted, which means um, which means Islam, and that's what they wanted to hear. That's what they were brainwashed with. So they got Islam, 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 and they just went down the train, drain because Islam is not going to take you anywhere in life. Okay, it's money, it's capitalism versus socialism. It's your economics, should I say. Your economics is the only thing that's going to save you in life. God is not going to save you because God is, is look, um, man made God. Okay, God not make man. We are cycles, centuries and, and 4.6 billion years of cycles. And you have to know how that cycle works. And that cycle will then become economic um a boon for you if you know how to to work it and to to uh, and to surf it. Uh, but God and 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 praying to some desert God is not going to work. I'm very sorry. Praying to any God is not going to work. But anyway, um, that was why the, the Indian subcontinent was divided. It was us. It was capitalism versus socialism, which was then plastered with the Indian with the Hindu versus Muslim. It is going on today itself because after 70 years or 60, 70 years of socialism, a country going down the drain from 346, 333 million to 1.4 billion, infrastructure crumbling, um, education system in, in, in the gutters, uh, dirt everywhere, unhygiene, inhygienic conditions. At one point, you're going to have to say, we need another system. And the BJP is all about capitalism, free market enterprise, free market economy. Uh, that's what the BJP is about. Um, and they cannot take it. And, and so the Congress cannot take it. The Congress is doing exactly what Jinnah did in 1947, in the 1940s. They are using the religion card as in a minority versus majority. Uh, the Hindus are bad. The Hindus are bad. Polarizing. They're the one who's polarizing and they're blaming the BJP. But cycles have turned and, and it's absolutely the reverse right now. So it was Jinnah polarizing the electorate against... Um, against the Congress. Today, it's the Congress polarizing the electorate against the BJP. Um, and you have to understand that it's not about Hindu versus Muslim underneath. It's about economics. It's about free market enterprise and the capitalism and the socialism of the Indian National Congress, which they are still wanting to bring back. They still want to bring back because socialism is all about power in the hands of a few. And in the case of the Indian National Congress, it was power in the hands of the Gandhi family. That's all they want. Gandhis, Gandhis, Gandhis. Uh, and I'm not talking Mahatma Gandhi. I am talking about uh, Mrs. Sonia Gandhi and her children. Uh, so that exactly is what um, Indian partition was about. Please uh, research about it, understand it, understand the different aspects and under um, behind this this labeling of us versus them, Hindus versus Muslim. Take off the labels, look underneath, understand the atwa, all that lies in between, uh, and, and make every junction into an intellectual laboratory. Understand the economics behind it, and you will understand how you can be free. Dharma, um, free flowing. Your duty to to um, your duty to balance your electromagnetic field and the, your duty to make every single junction into an intellectual laboratory and, and harness the wealth of knowledge that lies within you. So thank you once again for your time. I hope you have a great, great weekend. We have a long weekend over here and uh, we're going to make most of it because the weather is going to be beautiful. So take care, stay safe and uh, peace, my friends.